We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org. Thanks. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finman. We've got a great show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we'll be speaking with author Rifka Goldstein, has written a book together with Man- Rabbi Manus Friedman, Creating a Life That Matters, How to Live and Love with Meaning and Purpose. In the second half hour of the show, we'll be featuring the portion of the week, which this week is a portion of Vayigash, can be found in Genesis 44 and follow. We're talking still Joseph and his brothers, still that exciting Bible story stuff. We've got music throughout the show. If you're listening to this on the first or second day of the week, well, it's still Hanukkah, so we've got a couple of Hanukkah songs for you, but we're progressing onward and upward, as we say, and the great Hasidic story all the way at the end, something relevant to the times. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. Two Israeli border police officers were injured when an Arab drove into them in the Israeli city of Umm al-Fam. The attack occurred as Israeli security forces tried to stop rioting in the city. The city, the riots were caused by a feud between two local families. It's all, it's an old Arab village, and the Israelis have to patrol it. Two Israelis accidentally entered Ramallah and were attacked by a mob of Palestinians. The mob set the car on fire. Palestinian police rescued the pair and escorted them out of Ramallah. Israel will bar all non-citizens from entering the country for at least two weeks due to concerns about the spread of the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. The travel ban began Sunday night at midnight. That was last night, you know, Saturday night, midnight, whatever. The UN, and we can call this, why is this news? It's like ho-hum, but the UN passed a resolution that removes any Judaism from the Temple Mount. The bill, which passed 129 to 11 with 31 exceptions, refers to the Temple Mount solely by its Arabic name, Al-Haram Al-Sharif. In some reported acts of anti-Semitism this week, a Chabad public menorah was vandalized in Queens, New York. At least three public menorahs were vandalized in Ukraine. A Hanukkah party bus in London was attacked. No injuries were reported. The New York Police Department is still looking for a black woman who attacked Jewish children in Brooklyn, and a seven-year-old boy was taken in for questioning after urinating on an Israeli flag in Amman, Jordan. And finally, Tel Aviv is now listed as the most expensive city in the world to live in. Israel's largest city passed Paris, mostly due to the strong shekel, which is now three to the dollar instead of its normal four. And that's the news. 
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Let's start out with a little music. The song is called Thank You, Rebbe, which means thank you, my teacher. And it's about all those people who want to give the much-dude gratitude and accolades to their elementary school teacher. Everybody's got an elementary school teacher that they think is like, wow, this is a person who's like really helped me. This is Benny Friedman and Itzy Bald. And it's for all the teachers that are putting themselves out there. in my life who made me what I am today I was too young then to know that I'd owe a debt I could never repay now we were no angels but Rebbe stayed on he saw something we couldn't see year after year at the front of the class Building the world that would be He could have been a doctor, accountant, a lawyer Had wealth and a fancy degree He could have chosen to go for the gold But instead, my Rebbe chose me How I wish you could see that the message you taught Remains with us all of our lives Rebbe, just know that you're changing the world You do it one child at a time Countless Talmidim who stand up and say Thank you, dear Rebbe How I wish you could see that the lessons we've learned Remain with us all of our lives Know that you're changing the world You do it one child at a time Countless Talmidim will stand up and say Thank you, dear Rebbe Every day But it's only now when I'm grown I realize that teacher and Rebbe of mine 
had a family and life of his own. And I'd like to tell them, you all have a schus, because you were there to support. Like Rabbi Akiva, who said of his wife, all that is mine's really yours. May you all have brachas, and share joy and nachas, and blessings for eternity. You could have chosen to go for the goal, but instead, my Rebbe chose me. assurance of quality and excellence in kosher look for the michigan k on the label what's it look like the lower peninsula of michigan with a k it's the symbol of the michigan kosher supervisors go to their website mycosup.com that's mi for michigan ko for kosher and sup for supervisors mycosup.com and find this month's featured products you'll find michigan k products wherever fine food is sold especially at natural food patch on west nine mile road in ferndale Up oh, not here. Okay. Uh, Rifka, there seems to be a lot of background noise. Can you go to a quiet place, please? And oh, I am in a quiet place. Okay. Am I on speaker? Yes. Okay. Take me take off, you off speaker. Is it better? Yeah, take me off speaker. Yes, that's much better. Okay. So we're going to start. How are you? Thank you. Thank God. Good to hear. Okay. I'm looking, I'm looking forward <laughs> yes. to this. It's a good thing this is being recorded. So I used, Fantastic. Have, I used to have a live show. That was a lot of fun when things like this would happen. You know, so <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. <clears throat> you ready, Luke? Luke is ready. Rifka is ready. Okay. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. I have online Rifka Goldstein has written a book, Creating a Life That Matters, How to Live and Love with Meaning and Purpose. Rifka is a Harvard graduate, and she currently is... I'm pulling up her bio, just a second. And she is a relations coach helping men and women navigate the world of dating, marriage, parenting, family, and step-family relationships. A native of Singapore, and that's uh, as far as we're going to go as far as that. If anybody else wants to see any more about her bio, they can pick up Creating a Life That Matters. How are you, Rivka? Thank you. Thank God. Okay. So you are a relations coach and with a degree in... Theology. How does a degree from theology translate into a relations coach, if I might ask? So first, let me tell you a little bit about the book. Is that okay? Let's, let's, so let's hear a little bit about yourself first, maybe. Okay, so I was born in a Buddhist Taoist household, and I grew up in, in a Christian, with a Christian education. And my entire life, I was always searching. And I didn't know what I was looking for. I didn't know what it looks like, tastes like, smells like. But when I came to Yiddishkeit, when I came to Judaism, I felt home. This is what, I was, what I've been looking for. Um, while I was at Harvard, I was, um, I was still, I, that was pre-Judaism. And I felt that, you know, it didn't answer my questions about life. You know, I left Harvard with the, with the education and no idea what God, is, what God expects from us, what life is all about, which brings us to the book. So when I found out that I was um, going to be a mother for the first time at 40, I went into, you know, I was overjoyed, but I also wanted to leave my son with a manual, a life manual, 
you know, in the event that, God forbid, I didn't make it, I was a mature mom, I just wanted to make sure that my son knew who we were and what life is about. So I left him this, I wrote this book, which I call a life manual, because I wanted him to have that, um, you know, something to guide him through life from the beginning to the end, from dating, parenting, marriage, and everything in between, and God forbid, tragedy, and how to deal with them. I wanted to leave him the book that we all wanted, and we didn't get it. You know, we said, you know, life didn't come with a manual. We didn't know what we're doing. You know, they never taught us in school. And, um, and you know, we had to figure this out. So I wanted to make sure that my son did not have that issue, that he had the manual, and he was going to guide him through life. And hence, the result is this book. Oh, that's fascinating. So you cooperate. Mm-hmm. It says actually, Manus Friedman has top billing on it. So, but he cooperate. Did he cooperate with you? Did you cooperate with him? How did how did Rabbi Friedman get involved? Rabbi Friedman is a legend of his own, and so essentially, I started when I was pregnant. I started writing my son a love letter. So that love letter essentially translated into this book that is based entirely on Rabbi Friedman's teachings. Because when when I was uh, you know when I was doing this project, this labor of love, I realized that, you know, Rabbi Freeman has, has the answers. And there was no need to reinvent the wheels. So this book was very much based on his wisdom and, you know, his teachings. He's been counseling people for over 50 years. He's been teaching for over 50 years. And um, here we have a quintessential, you know, all summary of, of, of his basic teachings. Okay. So now, yeah. it's, now it sounds like that... The life manual, and I've often often said this, yes. that, okay, life doesn't come with a manual. But the Jews have the Torah, which we've used as a support and has been something that we've all fallen back on. So what have you done? So it sounds like you've incorporated Torah ideals. So explain your, your uh, way about going about that, Rivka Goldstein. So, yes, very well. You're, you're exactly correct that the Torah is our manual and the Torah is our guide. But I've also come from a perspective as a convert. I came from the world where it was unclear. There was a lot of confusion. There was no straight line answers about what you know, God needs from Jews and what God needs, of, for that matter, what God needs from non-Jews. Um, so I, I use the word that life manual in a way that, you know, that's what people say. Um, you know, it's just a... It's just a you know, people say on the street that, you know, life doesn't come with a manual, and that's not true. You're correct about that. You're right about that. And so this book is a summary of, of uh, it, uh, let's just put it this way, it's in a modern vernacular of what the, what the Torah is telling us, but in our, you know, in modern language, so to speak. Okay, let's, let's do this as sort of like an outline form. So mm-hmm. when a child's first born, the child really doesn't really need anything other than its mother to take care of it. So at that point, I would think that the book is geared more towards, should be geared towards the mother more than to the, to the, the individual. And only then when the individual starts growing up, they would be needing uh, direction. So what, what would you say to the new mother then, Rifka Goldstein? So to raise an excellent child or a moral child, you yourself has to be that. You have to model, obviously. You need to know. Uh, you have to live a life that inspires your children. So what is a life that inspires your children? It's a life that is moral, a life that knows right from wrong and teaches, uh, you know, that's based on what God expects from us. And so I would say that for a new mother, 
that um, she should know that every, every, you know, her every, everything she says and her every move she makes is going to make an imprint on her child and that um, she doesn't have to be lost or confused. There are, there are you know, instructions, there are manuals, as we say, um, that, uh, that can guide her in her life. So she's never alone and that she should most definitely um, be inspired to live the life that what God expects, because what God expects from us is eternal, it's consistent, um, you know, it doesn't change from one day to another. Um, and if she sticks by that, and it should be, uh, it, will be, it will be easy. Okay. And I think it's important also to teach our children, it's the first chapter in the book, to talk about the difference between living and existing. To live... What's the difference as I teach my child? I say the difference between living and existing is that to exist, to, to exist, you have needs. I need, I want, I need mine. But life is about what do you need? What can I do for you? So it's important to teach children to know the difference from a very young age and that we should also know this difference uh, in, our, in our lives. Okay. Our guest, our guest today is Rifka Goldstein. She's written a book together with Rabbi Manus Friedman, Creating a Life That Matters, How to Live and Love with Meaning and Purpose. I see the second chapter of the book is Life After Death. Should we, right at the beginning, be worried about what's going to happen after we die? I mean, that, I think you'd leave that for the, like, the last <laughs> chapter. Well, the book is separated into three main sections. So you could pick the chapters that you like and you could read it just, you know, uh, pick, pick by chapters and read. Yeah. Okay. How old is your oldest? Thank God. I only have one. Thank God. He just turned 11. Baruch Hashem. Uh, okay. So um, yeah. you, you, you haven't answered my, you won't be able to answer my question because one of life's great challenges is teenagers. And I'm wondering if you've solved the problem of teenagers, but the answer is calling you back in about uh, 10 years and we'll see how that goes. So <laughs> just, sure. just wait, Rivka, just wait. So <laughs> I'm sure. Well, one quick, one quick word of advice to teenagers is give them an identity that's above them, you know, help them to rise above the current situation. Give them, give them something that they're needed for, you know, instead of giving them what they need all the time, give them something above. Okay. Recently. Meaning to say that, you know, yeah. Yeah. I understand. Okay. Now, um, recently here in Michigan, there was a tragedy. It it made national news. And mm. it was the perpetrator, a deed which was perpetrated by a teenager. So the, there's, I suppose it might be a two-fold question for you. I know that not everybody has all the answers, but the first thing is what we'd like to see is how would such, how could we as parents make it such that um, our kids aren't involved in such activities? And the second question, which is more important for right now, is what can one say to those who are the victims of such a tragedy, Rivka Goldstein? It's a long so, question. I know. So first of all, first of all, teenagers are by nature idealistic. They want to change the world. They feel that they can. They want to do something greater and bigger than themselves. And we have to let them and guide them in the in the path of 
of, you know, fulfilling that mission. So it's not true that, you know, they are not bendable and that you cannot impact or influence them. It's not true. You can, you can influence them and direct them in, in, a, in a way that, that they could devote themselves completely to it. They just need to connect, find and connect with that higher purpose. So we shouldn't give them less. We should give them more. We shouldn't expect less. We should give, you know, expect more. And, and certainly, you know, help them find an outlet where they can um, fulfill that ideal, that ideals that they have, which is to change the world for the better. So, so on the flip side, on the flip side, you know, when they don't have that, and they also, they, they think that uh, one of the ways to, to change the world is um, going that wrong path, so to speak. So, so even that person, that child that is, that is um, doing something that, that's negative, it's also in that mind frame of hoping that, you know, he, in his mind, he is changing, he is, he's trying to make an impact. Um, as for your second question, I'm not sure if I have an answer other than, you know, as a parent, as a mother, um, all you empathize, and there's a lot of pain that you can't, you cannot, you, you cannot describe and explain. You know, so so I don't have an answer for the second, mm-hmm. yeah, second point. Yeah, other than empathy and prayers, you know. Okay, so I see that you 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 do address the idea of of bad in the world. So according to the way you perceive it, then why why is there bad, Rivka Goldstein? So that's a this is a long drawn um, conversation. Um, we have time. That, that, so it's not that there is bad in the world. We don't have two gods. We don't have a god that is good or a god that is bad. There is no two gods in 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 creation. The very same God is in charge of both. Our job is to say, God, help us. And this is one of the prayers we say in the morning. We say to Hashem, we say, God, open my eyes, align my thoughts, help me to get in your brain, help me to see the world through your eyes and in, you know, through the way you see it. Because we don't see the big picture. So it's not that God, uh, so it's not as though that, you know, there's a separate God governing bad in the world. There's a, there's, a, there's a good God and a bad God. It's not like that. Okay. Could you elaborate then a little bit more, please? Because um, a lot of people are in the, the people look at, <laughs> at events that happen in the world and they say, that's really a horrible thing that happened. And there's really very little way to explain that it's not a horrible thing that happened. So could you elaborate, please, Rifka Goldstein? So God gave us all free choice. We all have free choice to do what within, you know, God, God gave us free choice to, to connect with him or not connect with him. This is the only time in our lives where we have freedom of choice. Okay. As for the as for what we see that's happening in the world, you know, I think that that explains it, that summarizes it. Okay, we'll leave it at that then. Okay, so there's two more parts to the book. The first one is like sort of like your major outlook on major outlook on life. The second part of the book deals with marriage. Okay, there are a zillion marriage books out there. 
what have, and there's even a zillion marriage books written by eminent rabbis. So what has creating a life that matters, how to live and love with meaning and purpose, purpose added to the wealth of marriage books and Jewish marriage books that are out on the market, Rivka Goldstein? So Rabbi Freeman has one of the most um, interesting and great outlook on what marriage is about. And essentially, it's that God models for us Hashem Echad. Hashem modeled for us what marriage is about. Marriage is not about a thing. It's about you and me. It's about two people dissolving, becoming one. It's not about, um, it's not even about love. You know, people think that we should be, we should get married. If we love each other, we should get married. And Rabbi Freeman's take on this is very interesting because he explains it this way beautifully. He says, look, you know, love is an emotion. And by virtue, by virtue of being an emotion, it's unstable. It's up, it's down, it's sideways. You cannot build a home or a marriage based on something as flimsy as that. So we, we live in a culture that worship love. You know, love will see us through. Love never fails. Love will keep us together. Oh, no, it won't. You know, so it's all of this, ideal, this um, idol worshiping around the concept of love. But the truth is, what's more important is our oneness, our home that we belong to each other. Because if, you, if, you, if we understand that, if we understand that that's what marriage is about, that's what, that's what we need to base our, our, our home, then we have a solid foundation so that, so that when, when, you're, when your spouse wakes up one morning and the love isn't there, you still have each other. You don't have to throw the marriage out. Because if you continue to respect each other, if you continue to be considerate, then the love will come. The love will surface again. Interesting. So, so you're mm-hmm. saying then that a good marriage is based on respect. Based on respect, based on consideration, um, based on the deep understanding that we are one. We are, we are together. We, you know, we, are, we, are, we belong with each other. It's like our relationship with Hashem. Hashem and us, we are one. And sometimes we are impossible. And Hashem looks at us and he's disgusted. But he doesn't throw us out. You know, we're still together. We're still, we're still united and we're still connected to Hashem. So it should be with that mentality that we go into our marriage. We should be the same. You know, anything, nothing should come between you and your husband. Nothing should come between you and your wife. If something comes between you, it's unholy. Toss it out because any separation is unholy. So any separation from God is not holy. We want to be united. And the same applies to marriage. Okay, understood. Okay, in the last mm-hmm. section, we are, mm-hmm. we are unfortunately running out of time for this segment of the show, but mm-hmm. the last section deals with parenting. And... Uh, there are so many advice books about parenting. You've also told, you know, give your child purpose, which is a very good, a very, a very, very, very good point. But um, what, what about in dealing with children that, I mean, every parent has an idea how I want my child to grow up. And every child has an idea how I want to grow up. 
<laughs> and that then leads to, I guess, suppose the generation gap, which was a term that was coined when I was a kid, and which exists has existed since, I guess, maybe Adam had Seth. There's been a generation ga- gaps, and uh, so what would you then say? How is it that parents and, more important, children, should be able to get on the same page? So that there isn't any, so, so we let's say minimize, we're not going to get rid of it, but minimize the tension of kids growing up, Rifka Goldstein. So obviously we have values that we want to impart to our children and we want them to grow up a certain way and, and, and live their life by certain values. But more important than anything, you need to make your child feel that they come first, that you're on their side. They need to feel that you're, con- you're connected. They need to feel that, that, you know, th- that you're not going to choose an external value over them. So now this is a tough one for a convert like me because I want so much to impart this beautiful, time-tested wisdom of Jewish values to my child. And... Uh, and so one day he said to me, you know, Ima, I want to be Jewish, but I don't want to be Jewish, Jewish. And he was about six years old when he said that. And it was a wake up call for me. And it made me realize that, okay, so in, in my effort or my zealousness in trying to impart to him these good values, I must have made him feel that, you know, that those values are more important than him. So, so I think it's important for us to, to do that, to make our children feel that when they come home from wherever they are, Parents should light up. They should be happy to see their children and make them feel welcome, make them feel that, oh, you know what, together. At mealtime, there should not be any criticism. There should not be any conversation that is texting, that is difficult. Um, when you're sitting down to have dinner, you're nurturing your body. So we should also nurture, you know, their emotions and, and everything else that um, to make them feel safe. That's the word. That's the word that Rabbi Freeman says, that you should feel, make your children feel safe at mealtime. Um, so things like that, if you, if you and your children are what we say tight, if you're tight with your kids, then you have a better, better chance of, of influencing them in, in, in a good way, better chance of impacting their lives, you know, and if they feel that you don't understand them, and you don't get them, then that's when they want, they, they're going to go elsewhere to look for, look for, you know, affirmation and, and validation. So we should give our children what they need, okay. security, comfort ho- at home, and all of that. And then from that place, we show them the good way. Mm-hmm. And how do you, Riff Goldstein, relate to your parents whose values you rejected? So this is the difficulties for me because I didn't grow up with, um, with everything that I put in the book. I was very much a neglected child. I had to navigate and figure out life on my own very much. Um, you know, I had to initi- initi- initiate myself to womanhood. I had to find my way. So I was a very much a neglected child uh, in that way. Um, so because of that, I think that my passion and my, this, I have this urgent need to make sure that my child's not going to be lost and that he's going to have, uh, you know, a blueprint, so to speak, uh, to guide him through life in the event that I'm not here, that he will have that. So even though I'm my fiscal parents, uh, were, were there, they were very much uh, absent in, in so many ways. Uh, so I thank God for, for them because um, 
obviously that was my path, that was my journey. Um, all the difficulties, all the difficulties in childhood, all the difficulties growing up, all of that was part of my journey. Okay, understood. So, that's going to yeah. do it for us. The book we work again today, our guest has been Rivka, Rivka Goldstein, who has collaborated with Rabbi Manus Friedman, composed a book called Creating a Life That Matters, How to Live and Love with Meaning and Purpose. It is published by It's Good to Know Publishing and is available at that website, goodtoknowpublishing.com. Do you have a website, Rivka, that people might be able to get in touch with you if they have questions about your book or general questions or they they see that you're a uh, a relations expert, maybe they have some relations questions for you, and do you have a radio show where people call in and ask you questions? So I do have a website. It's askdodarivka.com. Ask D O D A R I V K A dot com. So Doda means and. So I'm the community's and. So ask ask dot com. Yes, um, you can reach me there. Okay, wonderful. And we wish you continued success. And is there going to be a sequel to like creating a life? Maybe you know, now that you've made a life, Rivka. Baruch Hashem. Okay, we'll take care of that. Okay, we wish you all the best, and uh, take care. We're going to take a quick commercial Happy Hanukkah. Break. Thank you so much. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Shulfinman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Let's listen to some music. This is Yossi Desmer. Desser? Klezmer Tunes is the name of his... No, excuse me. This is... The group is called Klezmer Tunes. And the song is called Mazel Tov. And uh, it's a, a remix. Let's listen. Thank you. 
was Klezmer Tunes, Mazel Tov. I think it was originally a Mickey Katz song, if I'm not mistaken. Up next, this is a total paradigm shift. This is Nissen Black, brand new, and the song is called Change. Running so blind, they nearly tripped all over you, yeah, yeah. I only stumble, I got humbled when you moved, yeah, yeah. So many hardships I was fighting to get through, yeah. Because you shine a light on me and let me choose, yeah. When I was low, uh, I didn't trust you, I didn't know how to let go, yeah. And I got worried cause I like to keep control, yeah. Even in places that I never been before, yeah. I turned it over to you when you left me grow. of quality and excellence in kosher look for the michigan k on the label what's it look like the lower peninsula of michigan with a k it's the symbol of the michigan kosher supervisors go to their website mycosup.com that's mi for michigan ko for kosher and sup for supervisors mycosup.com and find this month's featured products you'll find michigan k products wherever fine food is sold especially at natural food patch on west nine mile road in ferndale Herschel Finman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. And this week's portion 
is the portion of Vaigash. It can be found in the book of Genesis, chapter 44 and following. In this portion, Jacob is invited down to Egypt. The interesting thing is one of those things which is not given a whole lot of uh, importance or uh, a lot of people pay attention to, and you could just skip right over it. And uh, But it says that Yaco- uh, Joseph supplied the needs for his br- family, his extended family. There is 66 of them, as a matter of fact to come down to Egypt. And he sent special gifts to his father. Okay? It says he sent him old wine, and uh, he sent him other things like this. And this was in response to what Jacob, the beginning of the portion, sent Pharaoh, or sent Joseph, not knowing that he was Joseph. He sent him pistachios, and lotus and other things that Israel's known for. So what's the what's the what's the deal over here? Why is there this exchange of niceties of of gifts? And here it is that Jacob thought, you know, we can <laughs> we have the leader of the world's great superpower. And you know what we're gonna give him? And to make him feel like he really should take care of us and he should let my son out of prison and not do anything to my youngest son, Benjamin, who he's demanded to see, is I'm going to send him pistachios. It's, it's, uh, it could be mind-boggling, but here's the deal. And in, um, to complicate the question a little bit, and Joseph says, I want my father to, uh, to understand and, acquia- and acknowledge the fact that I appreciate his gift of sending me pistachios and etc. by sending him a bottle of, I don't know, Egyptian wine? I don't know if they grow grapes in, in Egypt. I know they grow cotton and linen and other hard-to-grow um, crops which require little little water because of the irrigation system which is required I've never seen a bottle of Egyptian wine Israeli wine yes so I can't imagine that he was getting his wine from Israel and was he getting it imported from Italy who never never occurred to me where where he got this stuff from everything in the Torah is an analogy for us and our relationship with the Almighty and with etc. We wake up every morning and the first thing we do when we wake up in the morning is we give God a gift. What's the gift that we give God? is thank you for waking me up. Jews say, I thank you, God, living eternal king, who has, you know, who has, uh, who has returned my soul to me and great is your faith in me that I'm going to get through this day. So it says about this Moda Ani 
this thanking that we do first thing in the morning before anything else. Our eyes open up. Oh, I'm awake. Thank you, God, for waking me up. It says that this is one of the most essential prayers that a Jew has. Now, Jews, we know Jews are praying three times a day. We've got eight, uh, the center of our prayers three times a day are the 18 benedictions where we're asking God for everything we could possibly ask for. It was composed 2,500 years ago by the men of the Great Assembly lived in Babylon and Persia at the time. And it is very well written. And until this day, it still comprises everything we could possibly ask for. But it says that the Moda'ani is, is even higher than that because it might be small, but it's an expression of self. So what were Jacob and Joseph expressing? It says, if you're going to give a king something, how, what, what could you give a king? There's nothing you can give a king. Jacob had the resources of the entire Egypt. And we know from later on from the portion of, of Korah that Jacob at this time had put away in a discretionary fund billions of dollars. So he could have bought anything. He could have bought Israel. Joseph could have. But it's this expression of gratitude which was lacking. Jacob expressed gratitude to this superpower for looking out, for taking care of his family and for taking care of them. And Joseph expressed gratitude back to his father by also sending a little something. So it's the, it's, it's, when you think about it, it's the little somethings. If we worry about the little somethings, the idea of saying a thank you, and even a, a you're welcome, that put importance to people's relationships and instilling that in our children is really tantamount importance and could be the beginning of an answer to tragic events that happened like in this week. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we will return immediately with a awesome story. Do not go away. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spex Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of the Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Herschel Fimmon here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? Way to do that? Go to my website. Or if you're at my website, wait till the program's over and click on the home page and go to the contact link. If you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, where else do people listen to uh, podcasts these days? Podcast Central, I'm sure there's one of those too. Jcast uh, Network, go to whereabyfinman.com and right on the home page you'll be able to contact me, ask me a question, provide a query, a criticism, a comment, whatever it is that you like. Do that. There's also ways in which you, you can 
Um, enjoy Judaism. We have archived editions of the radio show, the Eparsha, the Uparsha, all ways in which we present Judaism in a very, hopefully, entertaining and informative way. And there's also the donations page. We, my friends, are starting, we're not starting to work, we're concerned. We don't worry, but we're concerned because we're still trying to pay off October. I suppose people are using their year-end funds for other things besides charitable donations, but um, (laughs) with uh, the IRS looming at the end of the month, it would be most appropriate to get those tax-deductible donations in to the Jewish Hour, and it's not just the radio program, because you've been listening already for 48 minutes to this radio program, and but giving, donating to the Jewish Hour contributes to so much more to other programs, not radio programs, but other vehicles in which the, the greater community at large of uh, Detroit is affected and helped, and so you'll be helping a broad base community with your donation at RabbiFinman.com. So do that today. You can set it up so it's one t- a one-time gift actually becomes multiple gifts, so you don't have to worry about it anymore. So a, a little a lot, a, often does a lot, and a lot does a lot too. So however you'd like to do it, and if you do not like the idea of putting your credit card there out there on the web, fine, send your donation any amount to The Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. Story this week happened 1950 51. 1950, a Moshav, Moshav is not like a kibbutz. A kibbutz is like more of a, uh, was a communist thing where everybody was like, uh, all the kids lived in one building and the parents lived in separate buildings and everybody worked for the good of the, of the kibbutz. And there are very few kibbutzim around now because the kibbutz movement, as much as they tried this communist type utopian uh, vehicle for living, it didn't work. And uh, it fell apart, I guess, uh, totally in the, by the 1990s. But there was something also called a moshav where Moshav is people work cooperatively, but you made your own money. And there was a Moshav in the south of Israel called Komamiot, which means like standing upright. And it was a religious kibbutz. And there was a rabbi, Benjamin Mendelssohn, who was the rabbi of the town, who was a noted author of the, of the, from, in Poland who had escaped and had come to Israel. 1951 was a sabbatical year, as is 20. 2122 this year 5782 is a sabbatical year which precludes people from planting plowing harvesting etc taking care of the land you have to leave the land alone and that's what they did on this on this moshav on this little village and during this time what did they do since it was a new village they started building permanent structures up until that time when they started they were living in tents it's the middle of the desert they didn't have water they had to, they had to go into the next town to get water and uh, it was it was life was tough came 1952 end of the season and they needed to buy grain now in order to buy grain it has to be grain, which was not grown during the sabbatical year commercially. And it was very hard to find any in the area because the other kibbutzim around the area were not religious and they grew crops. And uh, the only seed that they had was cultivated from 
the sabbatical year of Tufshin Yud Aleph of 5751. They finally looked around and they found in a shed some old rotting wormy grain which could be could have been planted and so they said we'll take it. Or actually they asked the rabbi and the rabbi said, "Listen, the Almighty got you through this year, which getting through the sabbatical year in Israel is tough. So we made it through the sabbatical year. We'll make it through the next year also. So they, they offered, said, how much do you want for the, for the old grain? It's wormy. It's all this. Is it? The people on the kibbutz said, just get it out of our property. It's, it's better if we don't have it. So they took it. And But now they had to wait until after Rosh Hashanah, which was already getting late in the season to, to plant. But they had to wait. That's the rule. Whereas everybody else around them had already planted a month before, but it wasn't raining. It hadn't started raining yet. Because in Israel, it usually doesn't start raining until after Sukkot. That was one of those things the Almighty did, is he didn't want people to be sitting in a sukkah and have it rain. So therefore, in Israel, it doesn't rain. But everybody else in the world, it, it does rain. But in Israel, it doesn't. As soon, the two days after they got everything planted, it started to rain. And then, lo and behold, within a week, the plants started to sprout. This grain that they thought was worthless was now growing, and it was growing much better than all the other kibbutzim around. And finally, what happened is, is the plants, like a month went by, and these plants are doing, they were robust. They're like unbelievable. And word got out of the miracle of kibbutz kimamiot, that because they kept the sabbatical, their, their fields work better. The plants work better. So now what happened? The people who had worked in the next town over where they got the, from where they got the grain, they're all upset because their plants are growing miserably. And they came back and said, even though we asked for nothing before, we now demand payment for the grain. And they said, well, you gave it to it as a gift. They said, we're going to take you to a Beth Din which is interesting, they said, because the plan was if they were taking the secular court, they would have lost. You gave it to them as a gift. You know, shut up and be quiet. But they went to this Rabbi Mendelssohn, Benjamin Mendelssohn, and it's interesting what he responded. He said, had they known that the grain would have grown so well, they would have charged you for it. And since then it was given under fraudulent pretenses, you have to pay them. And they did pay them. Which, according to this, now that's Torah logic. That in Torah logic, not only do we look out for the underdog, we look for the overdog as well. So that if the ter- what determines to be fairness is fair for everybody. That's going to do it. We hope you had. Hope you enjoyed the show. We're going to close out with a little Hanukkah music for you, just a little bit, and uh, hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Oh